1: Welcome to Military Network Radio. We are very glad you have joined us today. And at the beginning of a week, we just love the way that we have such amazing guests and topics to talk about with you. And I'm joined today by host Les Davis. And Les, welcome to you this morning.
2: Oh, welcome. Good morning. And thank you again for uh, inviting me on.
1: You're very welcome. It's always a joy to have you on. We are going to be talking today about intimacy intimacy post-injury, so combat trauma and sexual health, and it is an issue that seems to follow along, and people don't really talk about it much, and they tend to deal with the more obvious things about injury, so whether that's limb or it's about uh, PTSD that is definitely interfering in the household, communication and relationship issues. It's very interesting because it really points out The need for intimacy with communication, um, with physical intimacy, with all kinds of things. And so after combat trauma, a lot of things change. And it is important to a fully rounded, well-lived life. And I'm sure that you have stories about this too, Les, where you return and it's just not the same. And how do you connect back again?
2: Wow, you know, that's such a when you sent me the topic and it invited me, I I kind of went back and and tried to remember what it was like coming back from even the smallest deployments. But, the you know, from the war and I just kept getting the, the, the visual of trying to fit in, fit back in the home, because obviously my wife had been she was, the you know, mom and dad for a long period of time. So it was for me. I was a stranger back in the house. I had to almost earn my right to be back in the home. So it was, it, it, it took a while. It, it's, it's not something that you can jump back into. It's not easy. You gotta, you gotta be patient. Um, and you know, their kids are going to mom when, when you feel they should be coming to you, just, you know, just a little thing, then the intimacy, mm-hmm. you're kind of a stranger again. So it's almost like you're reintroducing yourself to your wife. You almost have to, um, th- almost start dating again, if, if that's even
0: mm-hmm. you
2: know, right. It's, uh, so it's, it's a, it's almost like a transition within the transition, Uh, to come back
1: beautifully put because it it really is Uh, again i think everybody focuses on the big stuff well now you're home and goes to whom for whatever issues and that kind of thing but becoming friends and, and intimate partners with your spouse or partner is very very difficult and then there's the aspect that we have talked to both uh our guests today. So we have today with us Glenna Tinney and April Gerlock, both experts in not only intimacy post-injury, but also experts in trauma, complex trauma, interpersonal violence. There are some of these things that don't translate well when you come home. And so we're going to have a, a wide-sweeping discussion, and we're going to let these two take it away for the most part, because the wisdom they have to impart is absolutely amazing, because perhaps you don't think about into part of that trans uh, transition issue, but it's a very strong one, and sometimes it goes down a very dark path, and other times it goes to a dead end. And so I would just like to introduce our wonderful guests today, and they will tell you a little bit about their backgrounds themselves, so I won't even try to do that. But welcome to Military Network Radio. We're welcoming Glenna Tinney and April Gerlach. We are so glad to have you on this morning. Thank you, Glenda. You are so very welcome. So which one of you would like to start a little bit about yourself and how you became involved doing this interpersonal and sometimes violence-oriented work?
3: I'll start. Um, This is Glenna. Mm -hmm. I'm a retired Navy captain. I was a social worker and I was in the Navy for 24 years. Um, but prior to that, my work actually began back in the mid seventies when I got my master's degree in social work and went to work at a mental health center. And it was the beginning of, um, the rape crisis movement and the battered women's movement. And so I was helpful or I was instrumental in helping to set up the first rape crisis center and battered women's shelter in our community Mm-hmm. Then I joined the Navy and spent the next 24 years doing a variety of things, but working specifically in the family advocacy program that focused on family violence. And then I managed the Navy sexual assault program when it was first begun. Then I retired and went to work for the Battle Women's Justice Project, working on military and veteran issues as they relate to interpersonal violence. So this has been kind of my, this has actually been my life's work.
4: Fantastic. April, can you share also? Well, I would say this has been my life's work as well. My work uh, began back in 1980 with the VA when veterans were just starting to come to the VA for treatment for mostly Vietnam related, um, you know, war zone related issues at a time when PTSD was just starting to be recognized and identified as a trauma related uh, mental health issue. Mm-hmm. So I started uh, work with the VA. I met my husband, who's a Vietnam veteran, and um, he also worked for the VA for a number of years. So I s- primarily focused on working with post-traumatic stress disorder, with uh, combat-related issues, but also in the early days with the women who were identifying military sexual trauma at a time when that wasn't even a term within the VA either. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so it was very new. These women were not really getting uh, services or really were not being recognized in terms of the kinds of traumas that they had. And then I started uh, running a, a batter's intervention group for active duty military and military veterans who were involved in domestic violence situations in the 90s. And while I'm still doing primary patient care in the VA and then uh, have also done research for oh, oh, at least over 20 years around the intersection of post-traumatic stress disorder and intimate partner violence. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've been consulting with Battered Women's Justice Project and doing training and writing and back with the VA uh, consulting at one of the local vet centers here.
1: The vet centers are amazing. Thank you both for giving that background, because I think that, again, this is something that is so very important. And we've had you on the shows before talking about intimate partner violence, uh, a little bit on the intimacy side and the trauma and, and how you know, there are sometimes deep roots. And sometimes it's just something brought on by combat. I shouldn't say just something, but it's important. So one of the reasons we're having you on today is that you have co-written two chapters in a new book called Intimacy Post-Injury, Combat Trauma and Sexual Health, which is Oxford University Press and edited by Cam Ritchie. This is a wonderful way to learn far more than we can fit into an hour's radio show. But these women know what they're talking about, and a lot of this will resonate, and I'm so glad to have Les with us as well, because we need that male perspective as well as the female perspective on all of this, and it it really is an interesting topic. So first, can we start with the terms intimate partner violence, sexual violence, and intimacy? Sure, Um,
3: but let me just say about the book, I want to the two chapters that we wrote were specifically focusing on intimacy after t- different types of interpersonal violence, okay. but, the book is, but the book itself really is a much broader. Um, uh, the topics are much broader because they really do focus specifically on, um, you know, intimacy when there is uh, are physical injuries um, when there are genito urinary injuries, um, it's the intimacy around when someone has PTSD from various types of trauma, the side effects of medications, a kind of psychological aspects of infertility. So it's and you know uh, exposure to toxic substances. So it is a really broad, much broader um, topics in that book than than just interpersonal violence. But our two chapters that we're going to be talking about today are, are focused on the interpersonal right. violence. Issues. And so. and
1: I think it's a really important topic. So we'll be focusing on intimate after intimate partner violence or IPV, and intimacy after sexual violence. Right. So I think that's very very important to know. So let's start at the beginning. We we know that uh, intimate part. what well, do you want to go with the definitions? Because yeah, we yeah. Let me, just, let me just, let's go with those. Yeah. Okay. Let's
3: just be. Uh, I mean, you know, we want to be all on the same kind of uh, sheet Absolutely. in terms of what we're talking about. So. When we talk about intimate partner violence, we're talking about an ongoing pattern of um, coercive control, generally speaking, in the relationship. But there is physical and sexual and psychological violence that occurs with that. Now, it could have occurred, the violence could have occurred, the physical violence could have occurred one time. But there could be an ongoing pattern of that coercive control, intimidation, threats, emotional abuse. Coercion and using children to control the partner, stalking, a variety of tactics can be used with that. Um, and, you know, even if there's been one incident or there's credible threats of violence, that's enough to um, traumatize someone and really control their actions in a relationship. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about um, intimate partner violence. Sexual violence is. Um, a sexual act that is committed or attempted um, on another person without their freely given consent. Um, So, you know, this could be someone who is capable of consenting and hasn't, or it could be against someone who is unable to consent or has refused to consent. You know, someone could be drunk, they could be um, passed out, they could be, um, you know, developmentally disabled. I mean, that they're not able to give consent. Um, and then, and when we talk about intimacy, I, we just want to be clear for this discussion today, we're talking about a broader range of behavior. Um, and it is um, it's it's not just physical intimacy, but also emotional intimacy being able to be close to someone.
1: And that's a very important distinction since bleh, can't find my tongue this morning, distinction because I think that there's a relationship communication issue with almost every returning veteran, as Les was talking about earlier. But this goes, our discussion today will go into both of those, as you mentioned. Very, very important. So intimacy after intimate partner violence and intimacy after sexual violence will be what we will discuss after our first short break. And you're listening to Military Network Radio. We're here with Glenna Tenney and April Gerlock, and we'll be back after these short messages.
0: We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages.
5: Hey there, it's Christine Gallagher from She's Got Clients.com. I'm really excited to share with you the first annual Get Clients Online giveaway. I have gathered a spectacular group of contributors who are providing you with amazing gifts that will help you get cash flow in clients in less time. Online, So I've teamed up with more than 50 other business industry leaders to bring you templates, checklists, and other valuable goodies to grow and scale a sustainable business that brings you more income with less effort. So all you need to do is head over to getclientsonlinegiveaway.com, put your name and email address in, and you'll get instant access to more than 50 free business building tools, templates, products, and services, including Facebook funnel templates, LinkedIn channels sheets sales scripts and so much more that's getclientsonlinegiveaway.com head over there and enjoy your free gifts
6: celebration of what would have been author of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Roald Dahl's 100th birthday, Oxford University Press has published the Oxford Roald Dahl Dictionary. The dictionary is both authoritative and a little bit mischievous, and includes everyday words, plus those invented by Dahl for his books. One of my favorite words from the dictionary is Zazimus. That is what the big friendly giant calls the stuff that dreams are made of, which he whisks with his magical egg beater Roald Dahl all doll loves the letter z which he uses in his mystical words like fizz whizzing zip fizzing and zunk by now you might be feeling a bit biff squiggled that's another word for confused or puzzled it's i'm carolyn davidson and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app too funny for words
0: Welcome back to Military Network Radio. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference.
1: Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We are continuing our discussion about intimacy after combat. And we are here with Glenna Tinney and April Gerlock. And during the break, Les, you had a question.
2: Yeah, I was wondering if, if you had noticed that there—was there any trauma history for, from somebody that served before and then during and after military service?
3: There is. Um, I mean, I guess I want to preface it by saying that, you know, a significant number of people in the United States period, whether they were in the military or not, have some type of trauma in their history— um, and there has been research done to identify adverse childhood experiences. This was a study that was done um, that really focuses in on childhood maltreatment, observation of violence in the home, um, someone incarcerated, mental illness in the home, a variety of different types of experiences. And what we, there has been some research done with military personnel and veterans that has shown that. Compared to the general population, they do have higher uh, adult—I'm um, sorry—adverse childhood experience um, ratings. The number of adverse childhood experiences has is higher, um, and this is often in the areas of childhood abuse and neglect, um, having witnessed the domestic violence in their families, um, having been sexually assaulted or sexually abused as children, um, and this is for males and females. Uh, also having, you know, had alcohol abuse in the family. Um, and so so we find that they do have tra- significant trauma histories before coming into the military. Now, that's not everybody, um, but, you know, it is a signif- significant enough number that it is important for us. As we think about uh, in interpersonal violence and victimization and kind of the accumulation of that, once people come in the military and have additional types of traumas, particularly combat traumas or military sexual assault traumas. Um, and then that leads into a more complex picture um, of, you know, trauma, which I think um, April is going to talk more about complex trauma and what that means for people uh, as it relates to intimacy in their relationships.
1: Interesting statistic. I, I'd heard that at a, dec- and a- Totally, but I had not heard that statistically that was the case. What are the numbers? How much more? Um, Just a range. Okay. Well,
3: um, some, I, you know, it's like sometimes it's like twice, they're, they're three times more likely to have had some of these experiences um, depending on which different types of trauma they were having. I mean, it's it's pretty significant numbers. I mean, in terms of higher amounts uh, with this population, with the military and veteran population.
1: Okay, interesting. So April, talk to us about the, when you get a cluster of things going on, so you've got interpersonal violence, perhaps three trauma, other occurring conditions. Talk to us about the complex trauma, And I'll call it the more basic trauma. I'm sure you have a term for that. But let's look at the range of what this can look like. Because I think our listeners want to know what this looks like. Because many times, I think people accept a certain level of, well, they're different or they're going to be more aggressive. I'm not talking about physical violence. I'm just talking about the verbal. um, Or that intimacy will be more difficult. But talk about some of the range of uh, trauma history examples or trauma uh, examples after post-combat and returning?
4: Okay. Um, When we think of trauma, a lot of times people think of physical trauma and don't think about the psychological trauma that can happen when physical trauma happens. And so I'm going to be primarily talking about psychological trauma, but in situations with interpersonal violence, you, you usually have physical trauma as well. And so with interpersonal violence, violence that's happening um, between people or a person has done it to another person. It's a different type of trauma than, let's say, surviving a flood or an earthquake. That kind of trauma is traumatizing, but it's not personal and it's not intentional. With interpersonal violence, you have something that's very personal that's directed, intentionally directed at someone. So it's a it's a different type of violence. And in the case of rape, it's um, the kind of violence that that is highly correlated with developing something like post-traumatic stress disorder. So when we talk about uh, complex trauma, that's the kind of trauma, it's it's usually either a traumatic experience that is so significant or repeated traumatic experiences that that trauma becomes the defining or organizing experience at the core of the person's identity. So the person, Uh. actually their personality starts getting forged by the trauma that they've survived, maybe how they perceive their world, how they interact with their world, how they interact with other people. So it actually starts um, defining their identity Uh, So it's a different kind of trauma than, let's say, just a one-time discrete event. So that's where we start seeing things like complex trauma. Um, People may develop then secondary uh, mental health disorders because of the trauma. Uh, Usually people think of post-traumatic stress disorder, which actually has a range of criteria in order to meet that diagnosis. But it's... um, With post-traumatic stress disorder, they talk about being exposed to violence, either seeing people killed, being threatened, witnessing it, um, sexual violence. They they really talk about that threat to uh, a person's integrity and survival, and then developing uh, a cluster of symptoms. The person starts maybe dreaming about it, having nightmares, maybe... They are just minding their own business and they that those memories come back. Maybe there are things that trigger them and they start smelling things or hearing things. They re-experience the event as if it's happening again. They don't want to be around anything that'll remind them of it, so they don't talk about it. They start shutting down. That kind, those kinds of symptoms and really start impacting the relationship. It's one of the things that couples really complain about After a service member returns from, let's say, a combat uh, deployment, they're not wanting to talk, not wanting to be around people, starting to isolate themselves, um, maybe be more uh, easily irritated, more jumpy, uh, not sleeping well, those sorts of things. That would be a post-traumatic stress disorder that actually starts Mm -hmm. interfering with a person's life. Or they may have experienced a physical trauma like traumatic uh, traumatic brain injury, which, of course, you know, we've heard lots about blast injuries and shrapnel, uh, falls. But a lot of times people don't think about a traumatic brain injury that happens to a victim of, let's say, sexual assault or domestic violence, intimate partner violence, where they've been perhaps strangled and and had um, hypoxia, so their brain hasn't gotten enough oxygen or maybe their head hit. Um, and so then they develop a maybe a mild traumatic brain injury or perhaps even a severe traumatic brain injury that then also affects how they interact with their environment, how they think, uh, it affects their memory, their ability to track, uh, that sort of thing. And then I, I talked about a couple others like depression, Very, it's very common with trauma. About 50% of people with post-traumatic stress disorder will also have a co-occurring depression, which then just complicates things even more in terms of being able to uh, reintegrate and uh, get along, you know, move along in their life. They have now something else that they have to deal with. And if they're dealing with the traumatic experience by using substances, drinking or maybe smoking marijuana or whatever to try and calm down or relax, get to sleep, then that's just one more element that not only affects, um, well, it, it affects both partners in a relationship because it affects how they, how they interact. Um, it affects even the m- most minor things like communicating, feeling safe with one another, being able to talk about the kinds of things Let's say if you are a combat veteran, and you you know there's things you're thinking about, you have intrusive thoughts. It's affecting how you, you know, whether you feel comfortable going out, going to the grocery store, or let's say you're a sexual assault survivor, and it affects how you feel uh, about, let's say, going to the gym and working out. Even the most basic things, you want to feel safe enough with a partner that you can talk about those mm-hmm. things and these types of that type of trauma actually interferes with a couple's ability to communicate on that most most basic level
1: you know it it does because one of the biggest comments we always hear is that just communicating is terribly difficult and that whole background of things What do you do about those people who are listening today? And we're coming up on another break shortly. But what do you do about those who are not seeking help? And actually, you know, just start it on this and we'll continue it after the break. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead and get started now? Yes. Yeah, just, you know, just give us a taste and then we'll come back after the break. Um,
4: all right, Glenna, did you were you saying something?
3: Well, I mean, you you were saying about people who are not seeking help. That's difficult. I mean, other than trying to get this kind of information out in all kinds of different ways
1: mm-hmm. so that
3: people are aware of you know what they might can expect and what kind of issues there might be. Um, just from combat or ju- or also from interpersonal violence type situations, um, you know that's part of the story is trying to help people understand um, and and trying to help them identify where they can get help, the kind of resources that are available for them, both if they're active duty or if they are veterans or if they're family members. Um, so most of it's I think informational if they're not seeking help. now if right. they into the systems mm-hmm. to seek help, there's a whole range of different interventions that can um that are available to them um to to get assistance with these kind of issues that we're talking about. April, did you have something more to add about that?
4: Yeah, in you know, in my clinical experience, it was often a family member who would say to the veteran, you've got to go, you've got to get some help. So it might have been a wife or, you know, a parent or You know, someone in the family who says, you have to go in and get some help. And so it's like this ultimatum. You've got to get in. You've got to see somebody. Or the other thing that we often heard from veterans, another veteran would say to them, hey, you know, this is I think this is going on for you, um, you know. You can get some help, and a veteran would accompany another veteran to the VA or to the Vet Center to help them get hooked up. And so that okay. that April, community I'm support so sorry. is so important.
1: April, I've got to cut in. We're coming to our break okay. right now, and we'll be back after these short messages.
0: We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages.
7: Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. kids in the summer, how to set up your one-room schoolhouse, how obedience is paramount, and what to do with those snakes. Plus, you'll be sharing ideas and insights that you gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney, Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central, on toginet.com.
6: Get a kick out of the warning labels Companies attach to prevent lawsuits From the hooky crooky of this world A warning label on a dishwasher cautioned Not to put any person in the unit Speaking of dishwashers One product warning on a television remote control read Not dishwasher safe That's too bad because we know How dirty the remote control gets In fact, we press the buttons even harder When we know the battery is dead What are we? Part of the ridiculati? A warning on a baby stroller read Remove turn before folding. Here's one for the blunderbusses and poppin' jays among us. A label on a letter opener read, safety goggles recommended. Call me snarky, but any society that needs this many disclaimers has too many lawyers, pedifrogers, and snollygosters. I'm Carolyn Davidson and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words.
0: Welcome back to Military Network Radio. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference.
1: Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We're continuing our discussion with Glenna Tinney and April uh, Gerlock about intimacy after intimate partner violence and sexual violence. So what are the effects of trauma and co-occurring conditions on intimacy in, frankly, all types of relationships?
3: Well, I'll I'll start by, um, and I'm going to focus more in on the sexual violence and the kind of uh, effects that has on someone. Um, And, you know, I I tend to think of this in different themes for the survivor. Um, And, you know, the first thing is, as April said before, this is kind of the ultimate type of violation because, you know, it takes away your control over your body um, and it is the most intimate kind of violation. So, you know, first of all, there is the whole um, terror and feeling of helplessness and powerlessness that happens at the time of the assault. And so, you know, that that doesn't go away. That kind of stays with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, then you move into feelings. There's that whole sense of um, betrayal uh, and your faith and trust in other people is taken away. Um, and you know, that can be combined with feelings of guilt and many times, uh, survivors feel like it was their fault. So they blame themselves. They have some sense of responsibility, um, you know, around the whole experience. Then that moves into a theme of anger and rage. Um, you know, it, it's a, there's a t- total sense of loss and betrayal as a part of this experience um and so you know all of these things really have profound repercussions on someone's life i mean they mm-hmm. because it affects their as april april made reference before it affects their way of viewing themselves other people the world all the all of their relationships so you know there's no way that for some people this this is a shorter term um experience and they can move through that and come into healing and recovery quicker. For some people, that's not fast at all. I mean, they, it takes a long time and it continues to affect them. And it, it affects people to some extent throughout their entire lives. So, you know, it's um, <clears throat> so the effects can also lead to the kind of um, self destructive behaviors like substance abuse to try to deal with the kinds of feelings and symptoms that people are having. And that's true of of intimate partner violence survivors as well as sexual violence survivors. Um, And we want to be clear that when we talk about intimate partner violence, many of those uh, survivors have been sexually assaulted in their intimate partner relationships as well. Um, And, and, you know, they might be acting out the the sexual assault survivors particularly. Um, Sometimes they become sexually promiscuous. They're kind of like trying to Uh, master and, and reconcile their experience. Um, It's a way of trying, you know, I can control this myself, um, but it's not helpful and it can be self-destructive to them. So that's kind of, you know, some of the effects um, that come from sexual violence and April, do you want to say more about um, how that might be different for IPV?
4: Yeah, I want to start folding in some of the intimacy and caregiving issues here. Uh, This as anybody who's, who's dealing with this, they know it's really, really complex. And Mm -hmm. in the chapters, we, you know, we're able to break this down better and address them in more detail, but it's, it's a, it's extremely complex uh, issues to deal with. Uh, One of the things that, that I work with veterans on is, you know, a lot of the veterans I worked with had uh, disabilities so that they had a caregiver and it was their intimate partner, um, usually their, their wife, or sometimes for some of the younger veterans, it may have been their boyfriend or girlfriend. Um, but what happens when you have a disability that you then need uh, a caregiver is that that in and of itself disrupts the power balance in a relationship. And a lot of times people are not aware that that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So here you have a relationship based on mutuality and equality and and equal sharing back and forth. And there's all these things that interrupt that process. The post-traumatic stress interrupts that process. Um, Traumatic brain injury interrupts that process. Now you have somebody in a caregiving role where it looks as though now they are responsible for this person to take their meds, get to their appointment, that sort of thing. So you have a disruption of the power balance. What happens when there's intimate partner violence is then there there is yet now a further impact on the power balance in that relationship where the service member or or the, the disabled service member or veteran then becomes resentful Uh, at the caregiver for the very acts that they're supposed to do as the caregiver, to remind the veteran, to get him to appointments. Um, And when there's intimate partner violence, then what happens is that the the disabled person identifies the caregiver as a trigger and may become angry, may become violent, may become abusive um, because they feel that, that, well, they are dependent in certain ways and they lash out at the caregiver for the very acts that the caregiver is supposed to do. So so they may both be angry at the caregiver for the caregiving acts, but they may also then um, hold the caregiver to, like, you're supposed to do all these things for me. You're supposed to be here for me. You're supposed to answer the phone when I call. So then, so then the that piece now um, becomes problemsome for the couple because not only are these other issues going on, but now this very act of of caring for another out of love and concern um, gets turned upside down and the caregiver then has fear and anxiety and that sort of thing out of the very job that they're supposed to do for the disabled service member or veteran.
2: You know, I have... uh... Witnessed that myself with friends and and some family. That the when you're when you're looking when you come back with that balance of power off off the deployment, you feel uh, you almost feel like you should be let in. You almost feel like this is this is my house, this is my family. I I was in charge when I left now, and and I, I should be in charge now. So you, you you start you do you start resenting, you start um, you you get angry about it. Um, you, you're, you know, you, you, you're, you're really uncomfortable as as you're, you're supposed to be the guy in the relationship. And some people don't they don't understand as a mutual, but some, sometimes they just get angry. They're uncomfortable. And instead of working through it, what, what do you suggest? I mean, how can how can how where can they seek or what do you suggest um, the service members do or people just do to work out these anger issues?
4: Well, I think, um, you know, as a, as a provider, one of the things I had to determine was whether there was anything that was, that was going to hurt someone. So if there's physical violence going on, obviously that has to be addressed first because neither the, you know, the disabled, a veteran or service member or the caregiver can kind of, you know, if you don't feel safe being with each other and, and helping each other out, then obviously, um, you know, the person can't get the the level of treatment that they need. So that has to be addressed first. But I think one thing where um, I felt as though we we failed our patients is that we didn't address these issues up front. We never just directly talked with the veterans and the the you know the. Caregiver or the part intimate partner about the types of changes in their relationship that have happened, and let them talk directly about it. Let the veteran say, "Hey, I don't, I don't like to have to be reminded. Um, I feel embarrassed. Or I feel in sh- ashamed. I should be able to do these things myself." Um, and help them work as a couple work through that in ways where the you know the service member or the veteran starts feeling like they're gaining more of their own autonomy back and the the caregiver feels safe in their caregiving role
3: could i say something about anger kind of looking at the flip side of anger Mm -hmm. um, particularly on the victimization side and more specifically the sexual victimization when a survivor gets to the point of being able to kind of express their anger and rage and it starts emerging This this is often an indicator that they are on the road to healing and recovery, and it's kind of like part of reclaiming that part of them that has been lost. um, Pulling, you know, getting back the the uh, positive sense of themselves. So it really is um, uh, can be a positive sign because you know if people have been depressed, when then once they get angry, they're moving out of that depression. So you know, so anger is not always a bad thing. Um, Mm. And and it's not always negative in terms of intimacy in relationships. Um, You know, now April is and Les are presenting one side, which complicates the interactions and the communication and the intimacy in the relationship. But it can also be an indicator that people are moving through uh, a range of feelings and, you know, moving forward in their healing and recovery um, and and getting further or closer to kind of accepting and being able to um, kind of build that trauma back into the larger story of their life so that it isn't overwhelming and taking over every piece of their life. Does that make sense? It makes perfect okay. sense because I as could- you
4: now we all want to talk.
3: <laughs> now we all want to
1: talk. Uh, let me just start it, and you can go, carry on. We're coming up on our next break. Um, I think it does move people forward, and when you see some uh, the thing, I think it's very important that you gave us both sides of which what that looks like and how that can feel. And April, I think you wanted to say something.
4: Yeah, I just wanted to follow up with what Glenna said because anger really is key. It's a, it's a fundamental piece of of of. Tr- surviving trauma. Uh, and one of the things that when I was running the, the domestic violence intervention program for active duty military and veterans, I would, we would work with the men to be ready to hear their partner's anger. So in this case, they were, they were the offender of the, of the violence towards their, their wife or girlfriend. And at some point, if their relationship is moving along and if it is healing, she's going to feel safe enough to be able to express that anger to him. And so we had to recognize them. They had to be ready to hear her anger. And sometimes it's extremely intense and that has to be addressed. It's like, you're gonna hear her anger at some point and you need to be able to hear it and hear it so that you both are safe.
1: Excellent points all because anger, rage, loss, betrayal, all of that, none of that is easy to talk about. And if a relationship is a dance and you're doing different dances, you're going to step on toes. And that's a nice way of putting it. So I I think that's all extremely important. I appreciate you talking about this so candidly. We're going on our next break shortly, and we will move to the hopeful sense of how to overcome the past and reclaiming power and healing and how it works together and we'll do that right after the break thank you for listening to military network radio we're going on a short message break
0: we're military network radio and we'll be right back after these short messages
7: It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
5: Many of us look forward to the holidays all year long. It is such a magnificent opportunity to get together with family and friends and decorate and give gifts and eat the most delicious food. But numerous people dread the holidays. As far as their weight, health, and exercise are concerned, they know they'll have so much temptation and chances to derail their healthy lifestyle. Many just resolve themselves into thinking that gaining weight over the holidays is a fact and there is no way to avoid it. But it doesn't have to be that way. I want you to embrace the holidays. Have a plan before you go to any dinner, party, or event and decide what you're going to eat and stick with it. Yes, there will be temptation, but you can overcome it. Stay with the plan and reap the benefits. You can contact us at fitnessminute at annettehammond.com.
6: Well, skunks are making the news again. Everyone has a skunk story. A friend of mine was dozing on the couch on her patio when she felt something furry brush up against her hand. She thought it was her cat until she smelled a terrible odor. I was petting a skunk, she told me. What's a word for shocked? Timey-wimey. In Colorado, a wildlife officer was called to help a skunk whose head was stuck in a peanut butter jar. After tugging for 10 minutes, they finally freed the critter and it ran away without spraying anyone. Guess that was a fair trade, otherwise known as quitter for quarter. In Minnesota, it's illegal to tease a skunk. What's the word for teasing a skunk? Tan-tan-tanning, port-wardling, and downright foolish. It's my Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words.
0: Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference.
1: Welcome back to Military Network Radio. I wanted to share some more news about our latest partner, Blue Apron, the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. Last week, I had talked about that I was eagerly anticipating my first Blue Apron package, and it came on Friday. Also good news was that I had family coming for a visit over the weekend, and we opened the box together, and it was amusing. We opened the package and started putting things into the three piles for the three meals, and we had everything, and I mean everything, for three full meals for four to six people. So we chose the Lemon Caper Catfish for the first night. I can assure you that when my children come home to visit, they wait for me to prepare and provide dinner. And it's a very solitary task. Instead, this time the kitchen was full and the conversation flowed as we cooked together. The joy of the family and the camaraderie in the kitchen, in my opinion, added to the delicious dinner of citrusy catfish and we had yummy flavors in the hearty lentils and greens with the Moroccan spice blend. Not something I would normally prepare on my own. The second night, we had the mushroom and spinach stromboli. I hope I'm making you hungry. With Mm -hmm. fresh ricotta and mozzarella with savory tomato sauce. Again, it was fun to prepare and tasty to the last bite. Best part, no shopping, no expensive meal out. And our family enjoyed both the dinners and our time together immensely. So check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free. Free shipping, by going to blueapron.com forward slash military network i do highly recommend this easy convenient and delicious service don't wait that's blueapron.com forward slash military network blue apron a better way to cook now let's return to our discussion about healing and recovery who wants to take the first part april or glenna um i would like to start this is glenna
3: um okay Mother, you know, I wanted to start by talking about um, kind of Judith Herman's work and her book, Trauma and Recovery, because she's a pioneer in trauma recovery. And she talks about a three step, a three stage process for recovering from trauma. The first is safety and stabilization, which is really, really achieving the goals of personal safety um, and kind of getting back to a place where you have more of your control of your emotion, you're regulating your emotions. But the central task to recovery from trauma is safety. And that's true for IPV as well as it is for sexual trauma. Mm -hmm. The second um, uh, stage is what we call remember, what she calls remembrance and mourning. So this involves being able to kind of reconstruct the trauma story, um, but being able to kind of fold that into your larger life story. But this stage also involves mourning um, because you have to work through the grief about kind of the experience, the trauma experience you've had, whatever that is, and the negative effect it's had on your life. There's grief over what you lost because of that trauma experience that you Mm -hmm. didn't do things that you might have done. So that's important as well. And then the third stage is reconnection. And this is kind of redefining yourself in the context of all of your relationships in your larger life uh, kind of um, view. Um, And you integrate what that trauma was into the larger story of your life so that it isn't predominant anymore in your life. So um, those three stages, I think, would apply to any kind of trauma, not you know, so I, and, and I, April, do you want to speak to that in terms of how you see that as it relates to um, trauma or IPV?
4: Yeah. And I, I think it's the, just that first phase safety is a huge challenge in terms of feeling safe enough to, to, to start talking about it mm-hmm. in uh, you know, in my clinical experience, like I said, that I, Was working at the VA in the early 80s and we were seeing women veterans who had military sexual trauma and these women were coming into the VA sitting in waiting rooms surrounded by men Mm -hmm. and then you know as the years went by and we were seeing um, sometimes people who were uh, in the reserves and National Guard they were coming in uniform so now they are sitting in the waiting room with men in uniform this was a real trigger for these women. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just coming in for treatment didn't feel safe to them. And so you know, on a, on a national level and certainly on a local level, we really had to um, deal with something as basic as the setting in which they're coming to for treatment, um, providing a place that's safe uh, that feels safe for them to come and talk. So it can be just as basic as that in terms of getting started with the healing process.
1: You bring up a very good point because I do know of many women vets who have gone in to be treated, go in for a treatment session and they, and they left because it was too much. I also know of those who are MST survivors who go in for, uh, they, they, Willingly put themselves into a psych unit, and they are put in with men, and they're supposed to be segregated out into female only, but that isn't the case still at some VAs. But it's critical when you're dealing with that sort of trauma, and and you're right. The setting is one of the basic settings. I know that um, Les, you were talking about how the anger and the understanding. Mm. Um, in your experience, when you came back, did you know or feel any of these same things that they're talking about now?
2: You know what I? Um, I, I didn't. I, I don't. It was. Uh, it was more very. It was very uncomfortable for me when I came back. I just remember uh, trying to fit in, and I didn't get angry. I didn't get angry about it. I. I was. Um, well, I may have gotten angry. I may have had a short fuse. I think that's. That's just uh, uh, natural for a guy wanting to fit back into his family, he just doesn't feel his role. But I, but I think you just, you have to accept it. You just, you know, and, and you were saying earlier about communication and keeping communication open. And that's one thing that my wife is a lot better than still today. She's a lot better than I am, but we, we were able to talk it through. Um, it is, it is, you're right. I, and I do think you've got it. You were saying earlier about safe and the women going the hot going in. Uh, if Linda, if I can just ask a question, yes. Um, is, is the VA or the military set up today? I mean, I know you just said that something may have, but are they actually set up to handle this now? Are we doing a better job?
4: Well, I, I can speak a little bit to the VA. It's variable across the VAs, but, um, you know, there's uh, military sexual trauma coordinators. Uh, there are things that the VA is doing to improve the physical space so that um, women will feel safer. Like one of the things we did is we had a waiting area, uh, kind of a women's only really was a separate waiting area for women in our mental health setting. We also had it in um, the general medical clinic so that so they didn't have to be just so you know surrounded by men yeah so I think I think it's variable it's it's definitely on the national consciousness in terms of mm-hmm. you have to have these things available you have to have programs or um, groups that are, are for women you need to have women providers available to see women those sorts of things uh, right. and you know I know we talk about the women's sexual trauma but You know, when we talk about combat trauma and safety, there's issues for former combatants as well in terms of physical space. And we haven't talked about that yet, but I know, Glenna, you're trying to get a word in edgewise here.
3: (laughs) Well, I was just going to say that, you know, in terms of your question, um, Les, the VA is developing and, and implementing system-wide uh, an intimate partner violence program now. So they haven't had that previously where they did any kind of screening and assessment and intervention, but now they are in the process of putting that together even though it's unfunded. So they're supposed to be you know, do, taking resources that currently exist and, and putting them toward this. They do have the MST program where they do have some resources committed, but again, that is not funded. It's out of other funds. In, t- in terms of the Department of Defense, they have the Family Advocacy Program that is there to, de- to respond to and p- work on prevention of intimate partner violence. Uh, they have a range of services. They have victim advocates. Uh, they also, DOD also has the Sexual uh, Assault Prevention and Response Program. So they have sexual, respo- uh, sexual assault response coordinators and sexual assault victim advocates at installation level, at command level. Um, So they they have a variety of services. They now have a hotline for sexual assault. Um, And then, of course, there are all of the civilian resources as well that people can uh, take advantage of in terms of local domestic violence programs and rape crisis centers and state coalitions against domestic violence and sexual assault. So there's a range of services now available to people both within the DOD and the VA, as well as uh, in the civilian uh, communities where our military personnel and veterans live.
2: It sounds Absolute. like...
3: I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead, Wes. Well,
2: I'm sorry. It just sounds like the uh, DOD sounds like they've stepped up a little bit. The VA is lacking on something that seems so obvious to me. Um, and it also sounds like our veterans and, and even active duty are, are are more seeking civilian help than they would seek it on with on their active duty base or to the VA. Would that be accurate?
3: um i think it's a mix I, mm-hmm. I think you know that's a whole other discussion about why people don't want to report ipv and sexual assault within the dod system um but some do go out to the civilian community to get resources unfortunately too many do not seek out help either place because mm-hmm. of fear
1: and you know various kinds of concerns um mm-hmm. so it's a mix I
2: understand.
1: yeah i'd yeah.
4: agree mm-hmm.
1: yeah We have just a few minutes, but can you talk about the importance of trauma-informed care? April?
4: Yeah, um, well, trauma-informed care is, um, it it is framing the care based on an understanding that a person is coming in, their, their, their symptoms are a reflection of the trauma that they've been through. So it's not like what's wrong with you. This is mm-hmm. this is one of the things that goes with trauma informed care. It's not what's wrong with you, but what happened to you, mm-hmm. and understanding that it was an event or events that happened to this person, and letting that frame the care. So it you know it is at its very you know um, the essence is developing safety in that in that care providing situation. It is understanding that the symptoms are a reflection of a way of trying to cope with circumstances.
0: Mm -hmm. It's
4: um, emphasizing skill building and acquisition of skills rather than just symptom management, moving the person beyond. It's highly collaborative. So you really are working with the person in a collaborative way. What I used to um, say to our, you know, our care providers is, don't don't promise that you're going to deliver something you can't deliver, because a person with a trauma history is highly suspicious anyway, and that's going to impact their trust of you. Don't yeah, lie April, to I've got to
1: stop you. We have okay. run out of time. I'm so oh terribly my. sorry. We will post resources for you. You're listening to Military Network Radio, and thank you to Glenn Atinney, April Gerlach, and Les Davis for joining us today. We'll be back next week. Our website
0: www.toginet.com forward slash Military Network Radio. Also, www.militarynetworkradio.com and in iTunes under Military Network Radio. Join us next week when we bring you another program to enhance your...